Thank you for that reading. I'm uh, glad to be with you here today. Uh, a week ago, my friend Larry Jones saw the sun setting over our new church building and texted me this picture. Uh, Larry's photo reminds me of God's faithfulness. Uh, November 6, 2009, a week after moving here, I went for a run. Uh, my wife Asha and I had moved here to Spring Grove to plant, uh, we had moved to Spring Grove to plant Life Spring Community Church, but I felt like I'd made a mistake, frustrated and feeling inadequate. Uh, I prayed as I ran. When I rounded a corner, all of a sudden the sun shone through the clouds in a myriad of rays like God's Shekinah glory. Uh, surprised and astonished because it was so beautiful, I stopped running, but I kept praying. Then a breeze picked up and caused the rays to shift and coalesce into one beam that shone down near my house, but not exactly there, and I now believe that that beam was shining on what we were calling the place to gather. Arriving home, I wrote these words, recorded them. Uh, we are where the Lord has led us, and in his will, we will be faithful as we follow. God will be faithful. Our adequacy rests upon him. Well, thank you, Larry, for reminding me about God's faithfulness. If you didn't know, LifeSpring is building a place to gather to bless the neighborhoods, schools, families, and the greater Richmond Spring Grove area. We want to bless the entire community, and we pray that as we do so, some will have the highest blessing of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, this week at Place to Gather, the pitched roof is nearly complete. Thank you, uh, Jeff and crew, for that. Uh, the stone fascia has been started on the north side, and volunteers have been picking up, getting rid of rocks in the, in the soon-to-be grassy areas and uh, setting uh, what will be the light poles um, in days to come here. So thanks, everyone, who has been, uh, has been helping out. And praise be God to what he's been doing uh, in our midst here. Um, I want to, uh, I want to uh, recognize a couple things that are going on here. First of all, uh, we have some new members. Uh, so uh, uh, Mike and, actually, why don't you just stand as I call your name so people can see you and so I can embarrass you. Mike and Liz Randall. Uh, Mike and Erica Summerfield. Mike and Emily White. Yeah. Thank you, guys. For, uh, cool. Okay, you can, you can have a seat. Did you notice uh, something similar about the, those couples? I don't know. Uh, Mike, Mike, and Mike. Um, so uh, there's also something else I want to recognize, and there are some things going on in the world that are just heartbreaking and difficult right now. And uh, if, you, uh, if you look in your bulletin, we have a, a little prayer starter. One side says, eat this book, and the other one says, praying together. Uh, three topics, Haiti, Afghanistan, and Western wildfires. Um, really quick, Haiti was hit by an earthquake that killed over 1,900 people, left thousands injured and displaced, and then later a, a strong storm lashed the area, bringing floods and mudslides. Um, Afghanistan, the Taliban seized power over there two weeks before the U.S. was set to complete their troop withdrawal after a costly two-decade war. Um, it's heartbreaking to see what's taking place over there. I know that many of you feel that. And the, uh, the people coming out of there are placed people in the world. That kind of hits close to the western United States drought. Uh, large fire activity continues in 14 states. Uh, 105 fires have already burned, 2.4 million acres. Uh, one of those fires is awfully close to um, my family in California, uh, in El Dorado County, and I received this text yesterday uh, from my mom. 
Keep praying for the Caldora fire. Over 30,000 people are evacuated in El Dorado County. It is 0% contained and the wind has kicked up. And uh, my sister uh, texted, hey guys, please pray for Caldora fire in El Dorado County. A third of the county residents are displaced due to evacuation orders. This morning, over 50,000 acres has burned, zero containment. They haven't even tried to fight it yet. They're just trying to get the people out. We set up a site, caldorafire.org, with info about resources for those who need it and links for those who want to help. So we, we want to lift these things up in prayer. Um, and we know our God is, is faithful over all these things, but, uh, but we definitely want to come before him in prayer. So would you bow your heads with me? Um, Father God, we come before you to worship and to give you praise for how you work among the nations, how you care for your people. We, you know about tragedy and violence going on in Afghanistan and many other parts of the world. You know about the earthquake in Haiti and the fires raging in California and other places. You know about injustice and persecution. And we confess that even when we don't know why things are the way they are, we do know that you are good and that we can trust you for the future. You are the God who created all things by your powerful word. There is nothing that has been created that was not created by you through your son, Jesus. There is nothing that has been created that is not sustained by Jesus, and it is in his name that we come before you. In Jesus' name, we place our faith and our hope. In Jesus' name, we lift up Afghanistan, Haiti, and the Caldora Fire. In Jesus' name, we lift up displaced people throughout the world. And in Jesus' name, we trust you to make all things right. We trust you for justice and mercy. And now, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask for your church to shine in troubled times. Help us as a congregation to be faithful in prayer and to bless our community. For the new members here at LifeSpring, we pray for your blessing upon them and their families, and we pray that you would open our eyes and ears and teach us to number our days rightly, that we might be a blessing to you and all those you have called. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, anybody remember the book of Hebrews? We, we've been, we were in Hebrews about three months ago. We were, were trucking through the book of Hebrews, and then we took a little break. And uh, we are going to return to this series called Christ is Better, walking through the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 10. You heard the, the uh, passage read earlier, uh, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And uh, some of us are new here to Livestream Community Church and will not have heard those messages. Others uh, just simply have forgotten, probably need a little refresher on, on where we're at here. And so uh, I will begin with a short review and a quiz. Um, so here's the quiz. We'll start with a, a low-hanging low fruit here. Uh, in, in which section of the Bible does Hebrews belong to? Is it the Old Testament or the New Testament? This is interactive, so just shout it out if you know it. Which one? Oh, new. Plus, does it B, connecting the Old and New Testaments? C, helping us understand the promises of God? Or D, all of the above? D, all of the above. We are, it's, this is going really good. All right, number three, and our last one here. Um, who was the book of Hebrews most likely written to? Was it Christians in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch, or Jewish Christians in Rome? A, B, or C? Uh, a little more sense. Yeah, come on, guys. C, okay, yeah, you're right. So it was written to Jewish Christians in Rome. 
Now, Hebrews is likely the best book in the New Testament for explaining Old Testament promises and how they relate to the New. Uh, if you want to know more about the Old Testament, you can read the New Testament book of Hebrews. It's a little more easy to access. And Hebrews is also a safeguard against having an objectless faith. And by an objectless faith, I mean faith without an object. I believe. What do you believe in? Well, you've got to believe in something. Um, objectless faith is faith not grounded in anything substantial, and an objectless faith is completely worthless. Hebrews helps us to guard against that. Um, I asked who the book of Hebrews was originally written to, and this question is incredibly relevant today. Hebrews was predominantly written to Jewish Christians in Rome during the time of Nero. How difficult would that be to be living during those days? It's easy for us to be dismayed by injustice, lack of morality, decay that we see all around us in our culture. But this book speaks to people working out their faith in even more difficult circumstances. And this is why the book of Hebrews speaks so powerfully to us today. So the bad news is that there is injustice in the world. But the good news is God is against it. The scary news is that God will bring about justice, perhaps in a way that we do not like. But the comforting news is that God is merciful and has provided a new and living way that we might live in his eternal kingdom. So today's message from Hebrews 19, 10, 19 through 25 uh, has to do with this new and living way. And here's a question with sort of two givens here. Um, In light of the struggles that we are experiencing, injustice, immorality, disaster, sorrows we sometimes experience in this life, and knowing that God has promised this new and living way through Jesus, where there will be no injustice, immorality, disasters, sorrows, and the kingdom of God, how should we live now? And our passage calls us towards three exhortatives, three things that we should do. First of all, we should draw near to God. We should hold fast to our confession. And thirdly, we should encourage one another in love and good deeds. So that's where we're heading right now. Drawing near to God, just to remind you of that passage, 10, uh, Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened to us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us hold assurance from guilt. So, what are you passages speaking to Christians? The clues are in the words, therefore, brothers and sisters. It's long been said, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask what the word therefore is therefore. And in this case, therefore refers all the way back, everything from chapter 4 of Hebrews on forward, namely that Jesus is our high priest, the ultimate sacrifice. That's the main point of that whole huge section. And our passage presents this picture of a great tabernacle in heaven, this great place where God's, the way to God's presence is open. And the veil that has separated us from God has been breached, it's been torn, and now a new and living way has been opened to us who believe. 
the last seven chapters of Hebrews went into great detail about the, how the almighty Son of God is now the high priest that enables us to confidently, boldly come into God's presence. And that's why we chose the Gospel of John to complement this passage, John 14, 6. Jesus compellingly explains to his disciples that he is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Other passages in John where Jesus says much the same thing. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. 10, 7, I am the gate. 10.11, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And 11.11, I am the resurrection and the life. So our text speaks to believers. It speaks to Christ followers. Where Jesus is the high priest, the final sacrifice, for those who have given their lives to Christ, a new and living way has been opened through the veil that previously separated man from God. And so Jesus' body was broken, the curtain torn, so that Jesus could be the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, who is the resurrection and the life. But not everyone's heard this message. From Romans 10, 13 through 15, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. And the assumption of this passage is that those receiving the benefit of um, entering into God's presence have called upon the name of the Lord, but how can they do so unless someone tells them? And that's our job. That's our job. Uh, three weeks ago, I was traveling with my daughter in Maine, and mostly we did some hiking. Sometimes we did some reading and writing. We, to give you an how, idea how exciting we are, we went to a library in Maine and, and wrote and read together. That was fun. Um, one evening, though, we went out to a place where there was a band, and they had, um, it was uh, actually a brewery where you had to kind of bring in your own uh, food. And, but the amazing thing is that there was this, this incredible view of a harbor, so that's, that's why we, we loved it. We, just, we came there one night, and then uh, the next night we came back and ordered some food uh, and, and went to go out there. And the only place that was available for us to sit down were a couple of young men. A conversation, and uh, them were involved in the boat. And then after a while, they asked me what I do for a living. I hate that question because it's just such a showstopper. Everybody is like, you know, what do you do for them? Finally, I'm like, I'm a pastor. Sure enough, dead silence. Took him a moment to recover. And then, uh, you know, we're at a, at a place where people are drinking beer. There's a band playing. There's a pastor. What's he doing here? Don't they keep him in the church somewhere? And, and uh, finally, one of them goes, uh, so uh, Jay uh, said, uh, well, I'm going to hell. I'm, I'm in the cannabis industry. I looked at him and I said, well, I don't think being in the cannabis industry is what qualifies you for hell. And uh, so we, we talked a little bit more, the conversation shifted, and then finally I, I uh, said, uh, so what, what's your faith background? And uh, so uh, Thomas said, uh, well, he's Anglican, and uh, well, actually, he was, you know, from England. I said, well, you're probably Anglican. Yeah, I'm Anglican, don't really attend. And then uh, I talked to Jay, and he said, well, uh, nothing. I said, nothing. Do you have any, anything in your family, maybe some Catholicism or something? Nothing, nothing, parents, nothing him. And so well, what do you believe about God? 
And uh, he, Jay said, well, I, I think there's something. There's like a, a God or a universe. Or there, 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 there's like, I think there's something. I'm not sure what it is. And so I, I started explaining about my journey. I said, well, you know, really, I, I, I kind of had to go all the way back and peel it back and say, you know, is there a God? Do I believe that there's a God? I mean, I grew up in, in um, sort of a Christian family, but um, I, I just really had to kind of figure that out. And, uh, but I, I, what I found over the course of time is that it's far easier to believe that there is a sentient being who created all things than not. It's far easier to believe there's a creator than all these things just sort of happened. And so we talked about that for a little bit and kind of went back and forth. And, and uh, I said, but there's one thing you got to know. If, if, if you come to the conclusion that there is a creator, there is a God, then the next question is, is God in any way knowable by us? Can we know him? And Jay said, you mean, can you have a relationship with him? I said, yes, that's exactly what I mean. And so we talked about Jesus. And uh, after some time, I got up and went to go use the restroom. And as I was using the restroom, some woman came up, and I found out from my daughter, Kasha, uh, what she said later. But uh, I, I just decided not to go over there because it just seemed like something was going on. And uh, this woman, having not heard our conversation or anything, came up to those young men and said, Jesus loves you. You need to know that. I don't know. But how can they know unless someone tells them? And God thinks when we go and are faithful, I mean, that, that was, you know, actually that was a case where being a pastor is actually a liability for me. It's, it's harder to share your faith after you tell somebody you're a pastor. They're like, walls go up. But anybody can go and, and, and share like that. And what difference does it make? Well, in our passage today, it's the difference being able to walk into the tabernacle of God, that torn curtain that has been torn open. And if someone has a relationship with Jesus, they can be in the presence of God. They can be in God's kingdom. This is powerful stuff. And if, if you were to um, come into God's presence, that's exciting. If you were to share about that and, someone, and you know that that's the difference that it makes, that is like the best thing you can ever do. It's exciting. It's really cool. You can have some role. I mean, God does everything, but he uses us and have some role in someone's eternal future. Think about that. So together, we can have confidence to enter a place previously thought unimaginable, the holy of holies, the place where God dwells, and we do so by means of Christ's body and blood. And this is the new and living way made possible by Jesus, the great priest over the house of God. So, Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What does that mean? Our hearts sprinkled. And to, as we draw near we draw near to God by attending to the veracity, the sincerity, the genuineness of our own hearts. How our heart is matters. Above all else, we need to guard our hearts. So in other words, they must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We must be washed body, mind, and soul. Jesus 
His work covers our thoughts, our actions, our intentions, our memories, our misdeeds, and it covers our plans for the future. But we can get confused and think that's all just theoretical. What Jesus did for us makes it possible for our... It's not like you make nothing ever changes. The value does over the course of hearts and some... That's what Jesus does for us over the course of time. God's faithfulness is infinitely greater than ours. We have nothing God did not first give us, and even our faith is a gift from God. But the expression of our faith in Christ allows us to enter the Holy of Holies, to inherit real eternal treasure, and to be called sons of the King, and to be friends with Jesus, by whom all heaven and earth were created and sustained. So we need to draw near and hold fast. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We need to hold fast. So we need to draw near, not just draw near to anyone, but draw near to God through what Jesus has done. And we need to hold fast or hold unswervingly to what we believe, to the confession of our faith, to keep that thing rock solid. So we are constantly moving near to God we're holding fast to our confession, and we may, you know, fool ourselves into thinking that we can have a little faith on the side, but faith needs to be the central part of our lives. And there's always a trajectory that we are heading, either further away from God or closer to Him. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is you need to cling to that confession. You need to be moving closer to God through Jesus. So sometimes we take our faith for granted and fail to live by our faith. What we fail to remember is that the strength of our faith is the bedrock of Christ's faithfulness. We need Jesus for everyday living to keep on the straight and narrow path. And so the idea is that our faith wavers, but God's faithfulness never does. And the strength of our faith is the faith the faithfulness of Jesus. Moving towards Jesus looks different in different chapters of our lives. Sometimes we're going through some difficult things. Sometimes we're going through doubt. Or sometimes we're going through tragedies in our lives. Sometimes we're going through relational difficulty. There are all sorts of things that can make life rocky. But throughout all of that, we're to cling to our confession regardless of what waves of life hit us. And remember that our faithfulness is based upon the one who makes the promise, and that's God. D.A. Carson writes, hope in Hebrews is described as the objective content of hope rather than the act of hoping, and it relates to both present and future salvation. Hope can also comprehend the whole of the Christian life. So we might say that the promises of God are the content of our hope and the reason why the Christian life can be described as hopeful. But we need to encourage one another. Uh, Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us uh, consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When I say, when I, now I use the word encourage here, and it seems that almost every translation uses a slightly different word in this place. So the way I'm using 
the another on to love and good deeds. The ESV says, stir up one another to love and good works. King James, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Maybe provoke is the most helpful. But when you think about your relationship with other Christ followers, other Christians, and you think about the word provoke, that doesn't seem very encouraging. How many times would you like your brother and sister in Christ to provoke you or to spur you or something along those lines? So we're talking about provoke in a good way. What weight and what ways do we need to be provoked, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's actually a blessing to each other? Don't go out and start provoking people. Uh, the pastor said, hey, I'm, Pat, I'm supposed to provoke you today. Um, don't put that one on me. Uh, but, uh, but I think, you know, as, as my daughter and I were traveling, um, we provoked each other in a good way towards love and good deeds. We, it, we, it was like working together in, in certain ways. Um, and, and, and as we, we started talking about each other, about spiritual things, as we started talking to people about Jesus, you kind of provoke each other. You spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And, and we do that sometimes, you know, somebody gets in a funk. They need to be provoked. And I don't mean we say something mean, but you just kind of, you do something that's active to impart courage to a brother or sister in Christ. And, and if you think of it in that way, is encouraging is imparting courage. We're going to help someone have the courage they need to do what they ought to do in Christ. And maybe that's making their way back to church. Maybe that's reconciling a relationship. Maybe it is just thinking about life in a different way than they have been. But we want to come alongside each other and just not let each other get stagnant. Maybe it's praying together. And I've seen many of you encouraging one another. You've worked together, cared for those in need, shared your faith boldly. Paul expounds upon this idea in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 18. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But we can't do any of this if we stop meeting with one another. Now, you're all here, so it's like talking to the choir. Thank you for being here. Um, but, uh, but one of the, the troubling things is when Christians stop meeting with, with others, with each other, because it actually weakens our faith. It's not a it's not just like a, a decision that has no consequences. D.A. Carson writes regarding this um, about not giving up meeting together. This warning about apostasy implies that people who deliberately and persistently abandon fellowship Christian believers are in danger of repeating the sin of Israel and abandoning the Lord himself. That sounds pretty harsh. But the trajectory is there. If we are not there to provoke each other, to encourage each other, to lift each other up, our faith is weakened. We all provoke each other and unforgiveness come in, in the church or in other. The solution is always, always repentance and always restoration. I want to say, lastly, with that idea of, of uh, meeting together and provoking one another, can you imagine the temptation there would be to not meet together 
to not engage with other Christians during the time of Nero. Hey, we just saw someone lit up like a candle. How much pressure would there be for us not to, not to engage with one another? It'd be a lot. It'd be a scary time. And yet, into that context, this book is written. Though there be difficulty, though there be disease, though there be affliction, that we should, as Christians, lift one another up. So, how are you doing with all this? How are you doing at drawing near, about uh, going, walking unswervingly? How are you doing with that? About meeting together and encouraging each other in a good way? Because Jesus is our great high priest who made a new and living way through his sacrifice and intercession, I believe that we should respond not just with intellectual assent, but with passion. And that we should spur each other on with passion. And maybe you know someone who's passionate about their faith. If you know someone like that, that's a good person to hang out with and to talk to about your faith. Because it's not, this is not just intellectual exercise. It's an, it's an exercise of the heart, too. Walking with Jesus. And um, as I said, you know, when, when I was struggling, if anything will make you feel inadequate, it's church planting. You just, uh, it's just a difficult thing to do. And uh, as I wrote down, he will be faithful as we follow. Our adequacy rests upon him. Well, I want to remind you of our series goals here. This is where we're going. This is part of our um, application, our ongoing application here. And I, I sort of messed up on number five, but I'll explain that. Number one, are we growing in our knowledge and passion for Jesus? We want to learn more about who Jesus is and it's really cool to dig into the Old Testament and see how that plays out in the New Testament. We'll be talking uh, more about that this next week. Uh, number two, am I connecting the dots between the Old and New Testament? Number three, am I better equipped and motivated for sharing my faith? I hope you are. I hope, uh, and if you have a, a story of sharing your faith or someone else who did that was, that's, uh, was encouraging, let me know. I, I would love to, to share that with others. I believe that when we do that, we, we tell other people what's going on, uh, it, it, it helps to impart courage for one another. Number four, um, for those who are struggling not to give up, you might be struggling in one way or another, and I, I would hope that as we learn more about Jesus, as we grow in passion for him, it will strengthen us in times of difficulty. And then finally, are we eating this book? So I, I uh, mentioned that one card that had the prayers on one side. The other side has eat this book, and this is where I messed up. The memorization uh, there is an old one. But uh, the current memorization here is Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now, some of you uh, memorized 11, 1 through 2. We're just going to add a, a little addendum on here. Um, now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients, the people of old, the people in the past were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what was visible. So the week after this one, we're going to step into the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is all about example after example after example of faithful people from the Old Testament who, uh, the way things played out, we'll be connecting the, uh, some Old and Testament passages, New Testament passages, but it, I think it'll be a great time of encouragement, and this is the perfect passage to memorize, to prepare your hearts for that, so I encourage you to do so. Well, I, I'm going to uh, uh, 
close up this portion of our time in prayer. Please uh, bow your heads uh, with me. Um, Father, thank you for your word, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, by your word, you do heart surgery on us, and by your word, you do powerful things throughout the world. We are so grateful, and we trust you, Lord, because our adequacy is not in ourselves. It's in you. And Father, uh, for those who are struggling here, pray that you would speak in their circumstances. For those who need a kick in the seat of the pants, Lord, pray that you would do that too. For those of us who are dry and need passion, Lord, help us to be passionate for you and come and have a friend that helps us with that. In all ways, Lord, we, we want to lift up your name. Amen.